So, so before we got going, I was just, I was just curious your thoughts about Elon Musk because you know he's been <laughs> he's been all over the place lately. But I guess last night he put out a poll saying, if this poll is over fifty percent, I'll resign from Twitter. And now people are like, is he actually gonna you know fucking follow through with it? So like, I mean, have you been following the Elon Musk stuff very much lately? Yeah. Um, you know, he, if if you reference back to that one post he did about the uh, the food the world hunger thing where he's like they said hey how much do- how much money is it and we'll uh you know tell me how much money it is and i'll write a check for it essentially and he uh didn't exactly pony up on that one um i think it's like our conversations we have about joe rogan and his uh um understanding his influence and what he's able to pull um understanding his influence and what he's able to pull uh he kind of treats the Twitter thing as kind of his own playground. Um, it's kind of a little more optimistic about him taking it over, but and I mean we're still kind of in the growing pains of him taking over though, so only time's going to tell really where it's going to go from there. But um, I think he's. I wish he just kind of step back just a little bit though, and just be that visionary and just be that individual. It's like you know you're changing society as it is with Starlink, with uh, with Tesla, and um, and. Uh, What's his uh, rocket company? SpaceX. Yeah, with SpaceX, and um, I think it's it just I think it, if you just I guess concentrate on that though and just really be that be that visionary, not kind of get down that that mean shit talking level. I think it'd be good. Same time though, it's like I, it's kind of enjoyable to sit back and watch. So, but once again, it's also like hey, you don't understand your influence that you have though, dude. So take for what it is. I feel like I feel like much like he's not willing to give money to end world hunger, he also like is not a free speech absolutist because like there was that story last week where there was that there's that one Twitter account that like tracks his private jet. Oh, and of yeah. course he like has that banned. Someone calls him out on Twitter, he gets it banned. It's like I feel like the one thing and we won't stay on this for very long, no, but yeah, I but yeah. I feel like the one thing is that it's kinda of taken the mask off of like just the like hypocrisy of everything yeah. like you have like the taylor lorenz type of people who you know were fine to ban people and now he banned her last week and now she's like flipping out and you have him talking about free speech and now he doesn't seem to care about free speech i just yeah well, i just it, think it's all just kind of funny the, is it taylor lorenz is he, was that the journalist that, that he banned or whatever yeah, yeah she's the washington post one that was yeah. always like or maybe New York Times, I forget, but she was yeah. the one that was always like tracking down, like, oh, are you saying something offensive or COVID yeah. or you know, blah blah blah. So yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I, uh, I mean, I, I kind of see why he did the did the thing with the um, the person I was tracking the plane thing because he even put, he put a post out about it saying like, look, you're putting my family in jeopardy though too, which kind of goes against like the whole, you know, you don't want people getting hurt over stuff like that, and I can understand having a bit of privacy. Now so. I I. I have not seen a single police report or any evidence that that actually happened. There was an interesting article today about that. He that. Got like, ch- like about his son getting harassed. Oh yeah, by the yeah. I'm just saying thing, in general, you know? though. It's like it's yeah. you know, it's like hey, like okay, I know you got gas here. Got the, it's. I can understand that just from a, like just a normal citizen perspective, for sure. So, but but yeah, I mean, moving on. Anyways, like I I I was gonna start by saying I'm sick of talking about Elon Musk. Let's talk about Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, okay, I don't care, dude. You know, because um, but. Yeah. Anyways, uh, I have John back. He's been on the podcast before. Um, we've been we've been meaning to talk because him and I do video calls a lot, but we we haven't actually sat down for a podcast in a while. So switching it up a little bit today. Not as much, 
news stories, but you know, trying to stick with yeah, conversation. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but <laughs> I did a podcast yesterday on this because I woke up and was looking on the news, and apparently there's like there was a coup attempt in Peru last week. Um, and now there's Americans in Machu Picchu getting airlifted out by the by the Peruvian military because there's basically like the poor like indigenous yeah. in Peru supported this guy who wanted to turn it into a socialist republic and take out the Congress and stuff, and so he re- was removed from office last week, and so now you have he was like removed during the coup or yeah well, he, he got tried to do and the coup. coup happened no no he was trying to do a coup but he's really bad at doing coups so okay. they just removed him and arrested him and. Now his supporters are like kind of the Andean indigenous like leftist kind of like working people. Yeah, yeah. And it's all in the Machu Picchu area. So there's Americans that can't get their train back to the airport. So now oh, there's like shit. a national like tourism crisis going on. Um, in Peru. In Peru. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of funny. I mean, but... Did they say like what sparked it all? Like where it was like kind of like has it been years in the making? I mean, obviously, no. but. Well, well, I mean, if I, I don't want to go too down this rabbit hole. No, yeah, but, yeah. But, but Peru's had. Um, I want to say eight presidents in three years. Okay. And this guy is was not supposed to be president, but the gal running against him, her dad shot himself while in prison for corruption charges. Like, like Peru is just well, like a they, mess. Well, then they have um, I remember watching a documentary somewhere, and they, they were talking about the these the avocado wars and like the water issues. Is that was that Peru or that was, that was Bolivia? But it, it kind of crosses over yeah, as okay. well. Um, but anyways, like, what's on your mind in the world? What's uh. Um, it's keeping you keeping you thinking. Keeping me thinking. Uh, it, honestly, just uh, I mean, like like we talk about on regular. It's like, hey, is our lights gonna keep coming on in the next six months to you know two years? Um, that's really just about it, though. Um, uh, well, are they? I, I don't know. That's that's <laughs> the thing. That's just like you know, it's with its recent diesel di- diesel. Um, uh, crisis we just had going on and then with the rail strike going on though too um or you know potential rail strike that that's going on it's just like it, everything's hanging by a thread and it's gonna take one one little nudge in any which way direction for it all comes falling down and then just like hey you know once again how long are the lights gonna be coming on for you know uh, and our supply chain is good for roughly three days ish that's without people panic buying that day of, and we all saw during COVID, especially with the toilet paper. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's that's just my biggest thing. I'm just kind of worried about right now. It's just like, uh, hey, are we going to be able to just survive in general? And I just see everybody every day. It's just like you know, this is everybody's on the brink. You know, uh, I think they said like most Americans now only have, you know, can't even plunk out four hundred dollars in emergency funds right now. Um, I mean, gas prices have gone down say with a grain of salt um actually it's pretty funny we were at, um uh at my at my academy i just graduated from um we we're watching a, a police video of a local agency here and uh <laughs> he pulled into arco and this is in 2020 i think it was like june of 2020 and gas was a dollar like 86 or dollar 90 a gallon i was like <laughs> and i ironically said during the video i was sitting there i was like hey look at the gas prices you know but you know i mean that was just 2020 that was close to, i mean kind of on june so almost Jeez. two and a half years ago now but it's just like it's it, that's that's the thing i'm just worried about though it's like hey like how how close are we to everything and then on top of that ukraine on the way though too i mean <clears throat> they're not on the way but you know the ukrainian war going on though too it's like okay what's um 
like where's the turning point for that one though too because yeah we got supply chain issues we always domestic issues though but just geopolitically what are the big issues that can push us over the edge yeah i mean you know it's a, it's a, it's a point i mean my my thing though is I guess I don't know if I am as worried about the U.S. in terms of like supply chain issues. I guess I would say, I I am worried about like we're in kind of a weird economy right now where technically unemployment's low, right? Yeah. Technically, inflation is better than it was a month ago. Yeah. Fuel prices are down, but I I hate when people say like I, I feel like you have this moment right now where like Fox News is like inflation's awful. It's Biden's fault, yeah. and it's like yes, inflation is still there. But then you also have people on the left that say, well, inflation's gone down like 4% since last month. And it's like, okay, yes, it's down from last month, but it's like significantly higher than it was two years ago. Yeah, well, and that's what I was saying about the whole gas pricing. It's like, oh, we brought gas prices down. It's like, we're still paying, you know, ridiculous amounts for it. And, you know, especially, I mean, I went to uh, Costco the other day and bought a package of the Columbia Salami. I think it's Columbia, whatever. Just a package of salami you get at Costco. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm It was $15 for the package of salami. I was like... I, no, I, I told my I told my wife I was like we're we're not buying this salami. No, it's insane. Like, it's, you know, but so. but I but I guess like I'm I'm worried about the the growing inequality I guess with yeah. this, but I'm not as concerned as you about the lights turning on. Now, if I was in Europe right now, I would no, be yeah. absolutely concerned about Wait, the lights. So turning when, on. when I say the lights like, turn off, though, it's just hypothetical, just like yeah, I get you. I get normal day to day life continuing. But so. but like I I just think like we're luckily in a very good place as Americans compared, I feel like, to Europe, you know what I mean? Like, because I mean, when I was back, oh God, I was back in Spain, you know, seeing the family there and the taxi driver back to their place, he was telling me, he's like, he's like, I hate Donald Trump, but at least like Trump and Biden gave you guys stimulus checks. He's like, I haven't driven almost the whole (laughs) pandemic. And I'm like, and like, anything. and the thing is here, energy costs haven't gone up that drastically there. It's gone up like 80%. Yeah. So like even the family I, I, I have over there, they, I mean, they're middle class, upper, maybe even upper middle class. Mm -hmm. And they still are worried about if I left the lights on, like, like they're concerned about that. And you know, the whole European continent is relying on energy that's now being just stifled, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of concerning and, um, it does feel to me like everything we've been kind of pushing for for a while is like kind of breaking. Like, I guess that's like, like, like everything around the world and the stability and kind of what we know of as the status quo yeah. seems to just kind of be fracturing. Oh, you know what yeah. I mean? And I, and I think it's weird because you have like, bless you. And I, I think it's kind of weird because you have like China I, I did a podcast last week about how China's basically under our nose been just pretty much only doing transactions in the yuan or the ruble. Yeah. And it's just like completely fucking up everything. Well, cause, you know? and, and, and what I was going to say is that like, what happens when, when that fracture finally is completely over where, because like we need China, China needs us. But we're not good at making things anymore, and they are, but we're better at intellectual property than them. It's like we need each other. Like, there was a good Derek Jones article in The Atlantic that said, like, yeah, we created microchips, but we can't make microchips in yeah. the U.S. And, 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 and so, like, what happens when that schism finally is just, like, torn apart? You know what I mean? Uh, get back to me when you have the answer to that question. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think I have an idea. <laughs> yeah. It's very no, bad. <laughs> that, that's what I'm saying, though, dude. It's... it's um... You know, like like you said, it's a mutual thing where, or like you said, it's a mutual thing where, hey, we need them, they need us, though. But, I mean, the thing about China, though, is, like, they have all of our, they, I mean, they stole all that intellectual property from us. Yeah. So, 
and they're able to reverse engineer it or make it better on their own terms or whatever though. So, you know, it's like, but for us, so it's like, hey, we have the intellectual property, but we don't have the infrastructure to recreate it though. Right. I mean, I know they're trying to create that new plant in Arizona, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think it, they said it's going to take like 10 years for that thing to come online or like five to 10 years, something like that for that thing to come online. <laughs> what can happen between there? We have no clue. Um, and, you know, we're trying, we're learning now that it's like, and obviously it came out of the, of the, uh, the supply chain issues out of COVID, but it's just like, okay, so we're making all these changes now, which is good, but okay, those aren't going to start getting implemented until like they said five to 10 years from now. And what's going to happen then? Um, if it, if the schism does fracture, I, I have no clue. I really don't know. And that's, and that's, that, and that's what original saying of, you know, the light's going to turn on. You know, is it? Is, are we going to have our day to day lives uh, drastically change because of these actions that have happened? Um, you know, I don't know what's going to be like six months from now, but twenty years from now, if if things keep going the way it's going and that that schism doesn't fracture, is that going to create more schisms down the road though? So it's just this constant domino effect that has splits within that though. Yeah, I mean, I mean my. My thing too is like not even the economy, but the like politics of like the China U.S. divide, yeah. mm-hmm. and I guess you could say Russia maybe too. But like it's kind of more the idea of like China doesn't really care what your values are, so they're no, like they very don't. willing to make alliances yeah. with anybody, right? Yeah. And like I worry that more countries, especially as the economies get worse, are willing to kind of make these like Faucian bargains or these deals with the devil with China to stay afloat. You know, like, I don't see, like, the Great Britain or France or Spain going towards China. But I see maybe, like, the Greeces or the Turkeys or the, like, most of Sub-Saharan Africa just feeling a need as the economy gets worse to just go with cheaper products, even if it means, like, giving up human rights in the way. And and I feel like that's what worries me about the exportation, I guess, of the China model. And the Russia model, because we know that China doesn't care about Russia as long as they get cheap fuel from them, right? And... As China's economy, obviously we know with the lockdowns, yeah. they've had a shitty <laughs> couple of years, right? Yeah. And so Russia's cheap oil, China needs to keep things afloat. And I just worry that a lot of the world doesn't value the morality that the West does. And maybe they shouldn't. Like, that's a whole other conversation. But I just worry that our message isn't winning anymore. Well, and it's, it, it's like you said, though, it's uh, people are, well, countries in general, they're just going to jump out of what's cheaper. Those yeah. two. Um, there is a huge influx of the Chinese in uh, Mexico right now, uh, buying up, um, uh, mine, doing mine operations, right. and that's where a lot of our drugs are coming in, though, too. Um, you mm-hmm. know, especially fentanyl and whatever else on it. So, I mean, they're partnering with cartels in that way, though, too, to get that those drugs over here, and, you know, they're making big money off of it. Um, I know uh, the Chinese, this is a few years back, but I think they set up their first quote unquote foreign military base in Djibouti in Africa. Um, and you gotta think, okay, Djibouti's not that rich of a country. No. So, <laughs> no. And the crazy part is it's actually too. quite poor. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And uh, we, I mean, we've had a base there for decades. Yeah, it's been decades. We've had that base there. Um, and Chinese start coming in. Um, Chinese have come in and started throwing more money at it. And was it was is it Djiboutians? Djiboutians? Djiboutis? Djibouti, <laughs> Djibouti John? I don't, I, don't, I don't know, dude. I actually don't know. That's a good uh, I don't know. There, okay, here, yeah. Keep talking. I'm going to look that up. Um, 
but uh, you, what are they gonna do? They're like, okay, the Chinese gonna come in. You know, we have to kind of play by their rules a little bit though. But they're gonna make us have, again, give us better roads. Again, you know, possibly build more infrastructure for us and everything else. Like, why wouldn't they take it? So, Jabushins. Okay, so I was right. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So, anyways, um, you know, it's and bring back to what we we're saying though. It's like that's what people are gonna go after. They're and China knows they're playing a long game with that though, and they're slowly gonna put their pieces in play. Yeah. They're playing checkers. Excuse me. <laughs> Yeah, they're not playing checkers. <laughs> I wish we were playing checkers. <laughs> no. China's playing chess, not checkers with this whole thing, though. They're going to strategically place everything where it's going to go, and they're going to kick off the U.S. dollar eventually at some point because they know how to invest that money where it needs to be. And on top of that, too, they don't have a, uh, a population base that's going to get mad about their tax doll- tax yens, I guess. Not tax dollars, but whatever. Yeah. You know, They're not going to get mad about their money going to these foreign countries, unlike in the U.S., which has its merits of needing to uh, be talked about, but... What do you have money to them? Okay, but but what do you think? Like we've seen kind of a, a fracture in the Communist Party's spine, I guess you could say. You've seen like a small little fracture with COVID, yeah. right? Because yeah. like I talk about this a lot on my like solo podcast when I'm not talking with you here. Is <laughs> like I talk a lot about the social contract and how like they kind of basically the Chinese people are willing to give up liberty in exchange for protection, right? Yeah. But COVID pretty much took the mask off of that is where they were being locked in their houses. No there was no, yeah. And I, I, I did that on purpose. I did that on purpose. Don't okay, you, don't right, you right, dare okay. question that. Was, no, but like it's, but it's true. It's like the Chinese people for the last like 30, 40, 50 years have been willing to give up liberty for security. No, no, and, no, no, let me say so. Like, cause here's, here's, here's the thing about that. And you can relate to even North Korea though, too. It's like, they don't know freedom though. Right, right, but you know, but it's not like us like saying like, hey, mm-hmm. we're gonna give up like these certain rights and these certain freedoms, true, or whatever else. So it's like to them though, it's like are they really giving it up though, or are they just never had before and they don't know any better. And and that's a valid point, but I I think it's more the fact of they don't question it because there's not a reason to because as long as like as you've talked about the lights come on and yeah. there's a sense of like monop like the government and the police force has a monopoly on security yeah. and the middle class has seen the biggest rise in China in decades. Yeah. Right. And so like, but COVID completely shifted that to the point where people start questioning. Well, well, exactly. Yeah. They, they were welding people into their yeah. apartments. Yeah. So exactly. I mean, yeah. And the vaccine didn't work. Yeah. And the West tried to send them the Pfizer one. They didn't want it. Then they have this Olympics that was a complete, just like kind of, clusterfuck yeah then they're meeting with putin two days before he starts what i would call a cultural genocide and it just seems like so 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 okay that was a long-winded way to ask (laughs) the question yeah is is so do you do you think something changes now because the population for the first time there's a younger generation that seems pissed off in china it's gonna take the brain power to question what's going on and the issue with that one, though, is just, I come back to like what I said before, just like you have to know something different in order to know that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but also one could say that also just when the status quo that you like, like when comfortability is disrupted. No, yeah. And that's what I'm saying, know? though, too. It's like, you know, they kind of had a line where they're just like, okay, we don't know anymore like a freedom or anything else like that, though, right? We just know, okay, we have our day-to-day jobs. We go to and from and that's it. And then when that's even dropped down just a little bit more than that, um, that's when that person is like, okay, this is this isn't where it was before, and that's when people are gonna start questioning stuff. Right. And that's where, and that's where, like you said, it's it's uh, um, that fraction of the of uh, the the communist spine is happy is coming from. Um, at the same time, though, it's like if, if, 
you know, if they don't know that they can start rising, I mean, it's going to take like, hey, man, let's like this is BS. Let's rise up, and we go talk to our friend next door, and he kind of agrees with us. So, and then it spreads like that. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take that one, those handful of people actually have the bravery to question it and begin that rise. So it's it's a multi. It's very hard to because we don't we us as Americans. We can question the government, we can question this, we can kind of call BS on that, or agree or disagree with that, though, and then rise up or not, or whatever. Them over there, they don't have the, first off, the capability to even really rise up, because if they try to, hey, I'm going to message you about this thing, hey, do you think this is, you know, crazy too, and you agree with it, yeah, but for them, they don't have the capability to do that, because it gets censored off really bad. I mean, right. it's like, how hard, you know, I mean, I mean, how often do we see information come out? I mean, I don't know how they get to some of these videos of these drones flying through some of these neighborhoods saying stay in, or they're spraying random stuff in the streets, whatever else. So it's like, okay, I don't know how the heck you even get that out. People are somehow, some way, there is always a way around, though, but if everything's against you, how are you supposed to do that? So Yeah, and I mean, I, I think you do bring up a lot of good points there, is because I actually don't think the situation would really change. And, like, that's kind of seen what you touched on a little bit. Yeah. But, like, if you look at, say, like, other revolutions in history, you need the military. Like, yeah. like I mean, I think the most pressing one, because everyone's like, – like, you know what's happening in Iran. I don't want to get away from China. But just, like, like what's happening in Iran with everyone yeah. kind of – It's a perfect example. Right. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that everyone's like, oh, things are changing in Iran. And I'm like, I don't think so. Because here's the difference is in the 70s when the Shah was overthrown – the military itself turned against the Shah, and didn't that's we a, orchestrate that. Well, okay, no, <laughs> well, smart ass, we didn't. Smart we didn't orchestrate that one. The Shah's father we put into power, so that's yeah. something interesting. And then this is something interesting. I, I mentioned, I forget to someone I was talking to. The Shah's dad was actually anti-Muslim to the to the point where um, he actually enforced people to not wear the burqa. So, like the Shah's dad would go around with the religious police at the time, or the, I guess the secular police, you could yeah. call it, and they would say, no burqa. Mm-hmm. Then you have the Iranian Revolution. All of a sudden, you, if you don't wear the burqa, then you're yeah. going to a death camp. And basically the point is, is that the Shah lost faith with the military, with the working yeah. people, with the entire country, except for like the elites. Yeah. And the difference now is that in Iran, no one's budging. The military is too afraid to budge. The elites are quiet. Yeah. The working people need jobs because, I mean, the economy is shit. Well, and that's, and that, I, yeah, that's and the I thing think, about riots and protests and everything. It's like you can only wait so long before it's like, okay, these people eventually have to go back to work because they right. can't pay for, you know, they have to feed themselves and their families and everything else. So, so, I mean, unless you get that. And that's the thing about the momentum of this. It's, just like, it's yeah. a lopsided sort of, I mean, <laughs> it's not a perfectly round boulder. It's a little bit lopsided. <laughs> so you, you might have a couple pushes, though, but it's only going to move just a little bit. And then it's going to sell back to where it is, though. But if you get enough people moving and that, that boulder gets that momentum, then it's going to become unstoppable, and that's when you see the actual change. But right. to get that momentum going, it's going to take a lot, though. And as you say, if you get the military involved, it's a whole different ballgame because, I mean, to bring it back to the China thing, though, it's like yeah. they're able to um, – I can't remember what the term is. Uh, well, well, if I can just interrupt for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, I mean, if you look at failed revolutions versus successful revolutions, I mean, that guy in Peru I started the show off with mentioning – he didn't have the military. Yeah. So the thing is, is then the military ends yeah. up arresting him for trying to coup. If you look at January 6th, whether you think that was a coup attempt or not, Trump's allies did not have the armed forces behind him. Yeah. Um, China right now, sorry, she still controls it. And so like, if you don't have that, you're not going to have a successful coup because like that is literally like Spanish, the Spanish civil war. Yeah. 
even though Franco was exiled to the Canary Islands, the socialist government was hated by the military. So mm-hmm. as soon as Hitler gave Franco weapons, the military's like, boom, yeah, we're exactly. overthrowing the government. Because they have the capability to now. Exactly. And to what I was going to say about China, though, I can't remember what the term exactly is called, but it's like, you only know what you know. <laughs> and so if you're, so say if you're a Chinese military member and your family, wherever they're at in China, are being, um, you know, locked up or whatever, though, but you don't know about that, though, mm-hmm. okay, you can't get the military to back you. Now, if they start getting word like, hey, Alex, I heard your family's getting locked up here, and then my family's getting locked up there, and talked to our other friend, his family's getting locked up there, okay, now this is the whole thing that starts, that, once again, that, that momentum's going to start pushing, right? And that's when you, get, you start to get that military backing a little bit. Um, but if we don't know, or we're getting a kind of filtered um, message from our families of what's actually going on, where we're from, it's a whole different ballgame. And granted, I, I have no clue how it works. I mean, obviously, you know, I know Chinese military is not like the U.S. where you just go down to the recruiting office and sign up, more or less. But, you know, uh, if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, I, I absolutely agree. And I think, I think you brought up a good point about just kind of like the fog of uncertainty that kind of comes with with uncertainty yeah and and, you know like probably probably something that fascinates me more is it does seem like chi has bitten off more than he can chew though because like he already has sent forces into hong kong breaking international law yeah he like the uyghur thing is slowly coming more to the light Uh, i'm not going to explain the uyghur thing too much because i've talked about it before but also the COVID stuff is just completely insane because like a lot of people think they're going to have like massive death because the vaccine didn't work there and they've locked people in. So no one has immunity. Well, and do, the, do you think that, do you think the, the whole COVID thing on for that though, do you think the way that they're handling though is more like a political stunt or a global political stunt in order to make do for what happened no. you know, for the, for the, for the, uh, for COVID getting I, out? I don't. Or no? okay. I don't, know. Yeah. What I think happened is Chi miscalculated and thought that if they shut down, because remember, China was the leader of the... the curve, yes. pretty much? Okay. China was the one who... I remember when there were leftists throughout Europe and the United States everywhere yeah. that thought it was a great idea to do these lockdowns. We have to remember that China was the leader of this theory of locking down and it'll get rid of the virus. Yeah. I think Chi, because he's a dictator who has a fucking small he ego... He can do that, pretty much. Yes, yeah. and now... If a, if a dictator, like the thing is in a democracy, you lose elections yeah. in a dictatorship, you don't. And so he can't really now back down completely from his original ideas because he's built the entire COVID economy around lockdowns. Yeah. And so I think this is just a man who doesn't want to admit he's wrong. And he's been yeah, yeah. forced to because of the protests we've yeah. seen recently. But the vaccine, the Sinovax is I apparently atrocious. Yeah. Like. Old people didn't even get it, so like the people that probably needed it, yeah. and then Pfizer and Moderna were like, "Yo, we'll send you some." He's like, "No, we're gonna work with Russia to develop a vaccine." Anytime Russia and China are building anything together in this economy, I kind of go, Mm-mm. "Yeah, no, for sure." But but no, I, I think it's just a miscalculation by the Chinese government, and that's why I think Xi's bitten off more than he can chew because now you have China, like Taiwanese nationalism growing yeah. after Ukraine. Which I do want to get into eventually, yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, it just seems like if there was a moment for there to be a fracture in Chinese power, I think now would be the time. But again, like you said, you and I are sitting here in the United States talking about this. Yeah. And what do they know in China? I don't know. Exactly. 
Yeah. So it's 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 complicated, but like 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 do you see Chi dying as dictator because he's become dictator for life basically? Yeah. Like do you see him ending his life as dictator? Yeah, um, but at the same time though, it's like if he drops dead tomorrow, like is China gets so you know? I mean, obviously, like any big corporation and whatnot, though China's this big machine. Okay, if he dies tomorrow. Is it is the machine still going to be rolling down the road in the same direction that he had envisioned, or is he, I mean, like how much how much of the strings is he actually pulling and actually guiding that where it needs to go? Mm-hmm. I think he I think he does have a big play in it. I really do because he's I mean, obviously we've seen a huge strat, strategy change in China since you know in the last decade really. Um, but it, I see him, yeah, I see him dying as a dictator, but it's also like okay, is it you know. Because he can also go on the same go off the rails like Putin though too. It's like, hey, it's come on later in life though. What do you want to be remembered for? Okay, are you gonna start taking some more risks though, or are you gonna start you know like hardening your investments, whatever else. I mean, it's like a it's like a mutual fund type thing. Hmm. You know, when you're younger, okay, you're gonna take a lot more risky investments, and as you get older, okay, you get some more locked in, much more uh, conservative um, you know investments. On the other side of that coin, it's like, hey, like Putin right now, it's like, hey, now he's taking some wild <laughs> shots because he's, he wants to be remembered for something. Okay, you gonna go down the same route. You know, um, obviously he's, he's they're pretty damn smart. I don't know if because of the invasion of Ukraine that China invade Taiwan. I mean, it's a whole different conversation. And, but is that a possibility though too? So hmm. I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. I, I I can see him doing though. But I mean, there's so much that could come into play in there when it comes to, like global politics and everything else. That I mean, I guarantee you, like knowing China and how they operate, they're playing the long game. I mean, it's a normal talking point, but they're playing the long game. They're going to make sure their investments are solid and regardless if he drops dead tomorrow or lives for another 20, 30 years. I mean, I don't know how old the guy is. He's probably in his sixties, right? So, you know, they're probably gonna keep everything going though. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too into the weeds on what I'm going to say here, but I, I'm kind of a student of fascism. I'm not a fascist, but I'm fascinated with fascism because like, it's almost seems to me like Chi is blurring the lines between communism and fascism. With a hint of capitalism. With a, well, exactly. We'll, <laughs> yeah. see, we'll see. Fascism is always empowered by capitalism. Well, yeah. It's like I, I said on a podcast a few days ago that fascism is the other side of the communism coin. Like communists are afraid of fascists and fascists are terrified of communists. Yeah. And, you know, what Chairman Mao was a communist, right? Xi is not a communist because he's used a market economy to create an elite that looks to... Like, since Xi's been in power, he's really tried to go back to the imperial Chinese eras mm-hmm. and the different dynasties. And that's a lot like what Mussolini and Hitler tried to do in terms of, like, Mussolini wanted to rebuild the Roman Empire, for yeah. example. So that's why, like, they did a genocide in Ethiopia mm-hmm. almost a decade before the Holocaust. Yeah. Because fascists <coughs> believe in... I think it was something... I think I read a quote. It was something like, fascists want social change through national grandeur. And it's kind of the idea of like an imperial state. And yeah. I, I don't think China's communist. I, I don't, even though it's called the Chinese Communist Party, I don't think China's communist anymore. And I think that's what makes this why China's allied with Russia, for example, right now, or at least quietly. Yeah. Because also India is what I would call kind of a quasi fascist state by this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know. And and I think that yeah. the Steve Bannons of the world would probably be okay yeah, if I mean, that was. <laughs> well, you can look at some of the, like parts of the Middle East though, and like I mean, a lot of it's um, religious based, 
but I mean, you call a lot of Middle East fascists though too because how they operate. I mean, and that's a whole different rabbit hole. But in the case of like, I mean, it's a good every, point every, actually. Every, it's yeah, a very good point. You know, like you know, for the Sunnis and the Shias, like when I was in the Middle East, like there's neighborhoods that are literally cut off because I can't remember which one's which though. But like, <laughs> there's like a Sunni or Shia in charge, and there are certain neighborhoods that are literally they're literally called black flag neighborhoods, and you drive through those neighborhoods, and I shoot you not, dude. It's like driving through. Like <laughs> I remember when I got there, I was like, this is called like it, I was like this this looks like Call of Duty Four. Like I'm not kidding, dude. And uh, yeah, and and these are just, but like and they're just normal people are living there though, but yeah. just because that's different belief. But I, I won't get that rabbit hole. It's the um, what's initially gonna say though is like the whole communist thing though. It's just it's a just kind of it's a simple label you can't toss on somebody. You know, um, you talk to a normal American today, just on the street though, it's like, what you, how are you defining communism? And I think if we could just kind of dumb it down here though, it's like who's gonna say Stalin? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, mm-hmm. Stalin or Mao, at that time frame, how they operated, and then we're thinking in Cold War. Lenin era, maybe too. Yeah, it would Lenin, yeah, exactly. But we're thinking Cold War era communism, yeah. right? This the whole new era of communism is something that's completely different, though, where it bleeds into what you just brought up of it's more of fascist way, but because we're able to toss the label out as communism and just kind of have that blanket statement, it just it makes it more palatable for. I guess average people, if you want to call them that, and 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 yeah, I think that's an astute point, and like kind of going off of that, like I think that's why the U.S. is not properly ready to deal with China, no. is because the like Tom Cotton's and the Trumps, for example, see China as communist, so they are just reacting to the idea of China being communist. Yeah, like exactly. like there's no actual like this is actually a hyper capitalist economy with nationalist tendencies. Yeah that wants to actually imperialize a lot of the regions around it. That's not what the Tom Cottons or the Trumps or yeah. the Josh Hawley's or whatever. They're thinking, oh, this is a communist place and we're anti-woke and we don't want teaching yeah. about communism in our schools, even though we don't. And that's what worries me is like the left is somewhat like blind to communism and the right thinks everything's communist. Yeah. When I truly think the biggest threat right now in the world is a liberal nationalism that's growing quickly. And that is yeah. a right-wing movement, not a left. Yeah. And like, of course, China spends a lot on social programs, which would technically count as like a social regime. Yeah. Right. But a, yeah, quote unquote. Yeah. Social, yeah social but it's not like, and, and like, I like, like in my studies of fascism, it always succeeds because the right is afraid of socialism. So they end up working with yeah. the fascists. And they get just they, they just go off the rails. Yes. No, yeah, it makes e- sense. Exactly. And do you... What do you think is... Like, like speaking about kind of a nationalism that's growing, what do you think Putin sees in China and what do you think China sees in Putin? I know that's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, I see him as just like strategic partners, really. I think that's all it really is. Um, I really don't think that Russia really gives a shit about how they're doing in the global economy because, um, you know, they know that Europe is now cut off from their oil. Well, I mean, their energy in general. So they know that what they got is like, I mean, I know that the ruble did drop when the war kicked off, obviously, but then now they know that they can utilize that to their advantage. It's like, you can only get so much from the U.S., and you idiots can't, you know, get your infrastructure up in time to in order to sustain yourselves. Um, 
so they know they could sell uh and then obviously china they could sell a lot of their oil and whatnot to china though too or a lot of their energy to china though too on the flip side of that coin with china sees in russia um I mean, besides the energy piece, though, I just see them as a, uh, as a um, um, uh, military-industrial complex partner. It's like, hey, look, we can, you know, advance our weapon systems with your weapon systems, um, trade intellectual property and whatnot, and that's really about it. I mean, uh, I, I yeah, obviously, you know, all of us was kind of afraid, like, prior to the invasion of Ukraine, like, okay, if something were to pop off, Obviously, China. If if something happens with China, Russia get drug in, and if something happens with Russia, China. Or did I just say that? I can't remember what I said. No, no. Anyways, but yeah, yeah. You know, either one. We have one's gonna happen. One's gonna get drug in, and it didn't happen. Um, and I that, and that that's just kind of my view on it. I you know I really I feel like that China was a little bit. I mean, they knew that the war was coming. I guarantee it. Um, but at the same time, though, it's like I feel like they're kind of a little pissed off about though, because it's like, okay, well, you kind of just muddied up the water a little bit, though. We're gonna filter through it and just kind of give you a slap on the wrist. But life goes on, I guess. As as like the PR for Ukraine gets worse, because like the winter is going to be brutal, right? I mean, well, yeah, it's like we're already in it, dude. Yeah. It's the middle of December, so like, yeah. Like there are reports that the Russians, you know, planning a new offensive. Yep. And obviously, well, like you see, they just met with the belt the. Uh, I think Putin just met with the president of Belarus. <laughs> Lovely. And he's like, yeah, and they're like, they're thinking about there might be a new counterattack from right. the Belarusian side. Which is so. which is always interesting because I mean I don't know much much about Belarus, but I I know that Lukashenko's Putin's puppet and their military is awful. So yeah. like, but but again, if they're getting aid from Ukraine, I mean not from Ukraine, from Russia. Well, it's a footprint for them, so if they need to start like you know. Establish a base of fire and pivot off that. Okay, yeah, there they go. And that's from I mean, Belarus is to the west of uh, Ukraine, right? No, I, I, so or it's it northwest. So if you look at like this is Russia here. Yeah. You have Ukraine here, and Belarus is kind of like here. So like it's like like Belarus is north of Ukraine, but west of Russia. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it's like basically Belarus is on top of Ukraine, so okay. they could have a counteroffensive to go south into Ukraine. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, you just they, expanded that, that which is a whole nerd ball game though too, because it's like, okay, because now the neighbors of Belarus are going to be like, okay, now these guys are over here now, so if we start bleeding this war over, I mean, you know, it's, it's and, and obviously affecting that place though too. I mean, that brings in a whole nerd dynamic though, because I mean, I don't know shit about Belarusian po- politics, and I don't I mean, I know you're a lot more invested than I am, but like I doubt you know like what their you know political game plan is or how they operate though too. So what I know is that Belarus is basically Russia mini because like they had that one guy whose name I'm forgetting who was a dissident in Belarus. Remember there was that Ryanair jet that was taken down by Russian MiGs. Like like basically it was a Ryanair jet that was forced to land and there was that dissident a couple years ago oh, who yeah, was okay. so like so like basically like like Navalny in Russia yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a similar guy in Belarus so it's like literally the same thing just a smaller case and so I don't think Belarus gives a shit about like what happens at this point because they're already in bed with Russia right and yeah. so yeah it's it's complicated but like like sticking sticking on China <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like sticking on China for a second like do you think that Xi starts feeling that PR pressure once the winter gets bad because like people are going to die. The world, I think it was the world health organization said a hundred thousand people could potentially die in Ukraine because of the, you know, just cold in general. Yeah. The shutoff because yeah. they've been bombing, you know, water yeah. and food infrastructure. Yeah. 
Like, do you think that puts pressure on China, though? No, because I don't think they really care. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I think, I think, I think we're, we're going to start seeing an issue with it, and it's kind of contradictory to what we're doing, but it's like, okay, <laughs> say if, say if a Chinese missile fails in the air, wherever it lands in Russia, and we go pick it up, it has a bunch of Chinese writing on it. I guarantee it's probably already happening. Yeah. But you know, the moment that happens, though, it's gonna be it's gonna change the whole power play, though. But it's like, okay, well, on the reverse side of it, though, too. I mean, we already know that we're supplying a bunch of arms and equipment to Ukraine, and we're launching that stuff. And you know, I know that what we see on CNN and Fox is that we haven't crossed the border. No, but I guarantee you, like the 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 borders, it's very vague. Yeah. So it's doing what it's gonna do. So I, to answer your question, no, China doesn't care. If anything, they're going to probably start uh, giving a lot more arms and munitions to Russia. Um, I've seen reports come out of Russia um, recently about the, uh, not of Russia, but just how Ukraine general, well, just a war of <laughs> these new conscripts are coming in. Um, they're getting these old rusty AKs from like, they're, they had to dig out like back of some, you know, um, uh, not armory, but, um, well, I mean, yeah, but yeah, yeah, what armory, whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, so it's like, you know, if anything, we might start seeing newer AKs come in that aren't stamped with Ukraine or with uh, Russian writing, but with, uh, you know, the People's Republic Army writing on them, though. So, I mean, a, a buddy of mine, um, when, he was in Af- when he was in Afghanistan, uh, the, uh, he, uh, one of the dudes that they went up and did dead check on, um, the, the, he had Chinese he had Chinese AK with him. Said uh, they had the People's Republic star on there, a bunch of Chinese writing on though. So it's like, and it's a newer AK. It's like obvious, you know. But uh, yeah, that stuff's not getting reported for obvious reasons too. So yeah, they answer your question. Yeah, I mean, okay, right. well, well, there's no direct answers to anything. No, there isn't. Yeah, I'm just trying to say, like, I'm really honest. I don't think China's gonna give a shit. Yeah, no, for that. sure. And my my biggest concern is that Putin's talked about regime change, right, in Ukraine. Like, that's kind of been the thing. Yeah. And there was a report from the general who was leading the Donetsk forces for Russia. Okay. And he said, the only way we win this is with nukes. Which I don't think is incorrect if you're on the Russian side because you're losing, technically. Yeah. And the world is turned on you. And unless you take out the Ukrainian government somehow, which would (laughs) probably be some sort of large explosive... Yeah. Material. Yeah. I don't know if you win this. And there's no end goal. So my my big fear is that Putin's actually in the center of Russian politics. He's not actually a right-wing extremist comparatively to like the guys that have funded the Wagner group yeah. and stuff. And I'm worried that as Putin keeps losing, there's going to be opposition to Putin's rule. Not from the left or the Democrat side or the yeah. liberals. It's going to be from the far right, which are fascists. And... There was someone with the American Enterprise Institute whose name's escaping my mind, but they were saying they wouldn't be surprised if a nuke was dropped on Kiev. Because I, mean, I, I, because, I think all of us are waiting for it to happen. Yeah. We're just waiting to wake up and read, like, nuke is, you know, a possible nuclear attack in Russia. I mean... Um, or in Ukraine, you mean. Or, yeah, sorry, in Ukraine. But, like, it was like when those two missiles fell in Poland. <laughs> I mean, it was a huge pucker factor. I mean, a buddy of mine that I work with, his uh, his family is from Poland, and um, his his uh, st- his stepmom, excuse me, his uh, or not stepmom, his uh, mother in law, is over here right now from Poland, just you know, kind of escaping the whole thing. And um, 
And I remember I told him, I was like, hey, did you, did you see the news, recent news article? He's like, well, what's that? I was like, dude, just it, possibly two Russian missiles just fell in Poland and killed two people. And we all know that Poland is chomping at the bit to get yeah. involved. And, uh, and he, I remember him looking at me, he's like, he just said, oh, why did I? He's like, are you serious? And he started, really started going to his phone looking into it, though. And this was like before we even knew that they were actually possible uh, um, Ukrainian um, uh, anti-air missiles or whatever. Right. So it, it's, uh, yeah. What do you, what do you think the U.S. should do? I guess, or, or not even the U.S., but the West. Like, what do you think we should do with this? Because, like, it's to me, it's clear that there's a good guy and a bad guy in this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I always hate the talking points of, like, oh, there's Nazis in Ukraine. Yeah. Yes, there are. There was a big movement of, like, the Asimov Battalion yeah. and stuff. But there's also Nazis in Russia, and there's anti-Semitism in Russia. Yeah. Zelensky's a Jew. So I, I, I just never bought the argument that, like, Ukraine's some Nazi state that Putin's trying to liberate. You know yeah. what I mean? It, I, I, and that's the whole thing. Like, this, like you said earlier, like, hey, so it's a whole regime change. Yeah. <laughs> it's really honestly just a land grab to me personally. Yeah, like sure. I said, like, Putin's trying a, to... A lot like our friend from um, Bavaria exactly, who liked yeah. to t- yeah. take things that weren't his. Exactly. Um, if What the West should do... So let me, before I... Let me preface it with this. So it's like... If Russia wants to win this, either A, they're going to have to drop nukes, and it doesn't, and this whole thing about, and uh, we could go on a whole tactical nuke thing, though, it regards, it doesn't matter, though, just because of the nature of the weapon, what the weapon is. Right. But if Russia, either A, they need to drop a nuke, or B, just bum rush the hell out of Ukraine, and just full send it through. I mean, like, look what the, you know, it's like, look at during World War II, during Stalingrad. Like, hmm. they sent everybody. I mean, people show up with ammo, or they show up with a rifle with no ammo, or whatever, and just, you'll send them through, and eventually you're going to win. But they don't care what the losses are. And I think that's what they need to do. The flip side of that coin, though, is like, hey, you got to worry about what's going to happen domestically, which is already happening in Russia, of families being like, hey, well, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are right now within Russia of how many troops they lost, though, but I think it's closing on, like, eighty to 100,000 people, or 100,000 troops they lost. Mind you, we've only lost like less than three thousand. I think it was during the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Like that's insane yeah. amount of people we've that they've lost. Um, so, to back to what the West should do, we're 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 invested. Can I, I say, can I just say something yeah, before you answer that? Yeah, actually, yeah. and we'll we'll get to that. But yeah, yeah. but like because because you actually touched on something that I meant to say earlier. But it was like some. Like Tom Nichols, who works for the Navy War College and mm-hmm. is kind of an expert on Russia, he he had a really good point about how this is kind of the czarist move in Russia, which is like you just send people to die in a foreign land, so then you can justify propaganda saying this is our blood and soil because we have so much blood on their land that it's ours now, yeah. and we and like it seems to me that like Putin is willing to, for people to die there for a propaganda move. Yeah. Like, it, it, it seems like we're very almost in the early 1900s type of situation yeah. where it's just like, just send bodies, yeah. justify the war, keep going. Well, that, and then the propaganda yeah. piece, though, too, if you tell at home, though, okay, you tell those weeping mothers, right? He, they died for the, the greater cause of right. the, mother, the mother of Russia, you know? The mother of Russia. <laughs> yeah. Which, which so, seems so old now. Like, that's such no, a but, stupid... But, but, like, it, yeah. it is, but, like, to us, so it is. But getting back to what I said about, yeah. before about China, though, it's like, hey, if you, you don't know what you don't know. So if you tell them that... And just keep spreading that truth out that, not truth, but you keep telling that lie out there. It's like, okay, the people are going to believe it because it, that's just what it is. But, but I think the difference, though, the difference yeah. in Russia with China, 
is that the Russian population, especially those in like Moscow and places, they kind of knew what was happening in the world. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the lights are turned off for them. Yeah. And so like that would be unique. Like you imagine if you and I were living like watching Netflix in Russia and then this all happens and all yeah. of a sudden we've been cut out from the world. Like yeah. there's a weird fog, but it's also like I don't know how many Russian citizens actually want this to happen like the chinese don't know i think the russians do because they no, also they have do. family yeah, yeah well and that's the thing about the difference between russia and china is that russia is a little bit more uh it was open well yeah yeah <laughs> it's 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 not as cut off and it's not as iron curtain as uh, china is right now um and so to bring back what i said that what the west should do yeah. it's like <laughs> we're so invested now dude it's like we can't stop right no and, and and i would argue yeah. we shouldn't probably yeah, no we should we shouldn't though but it just there needs to be like I feel like for us, and I generally, I genuinely think that our that the game, the game planners, the war planners, I guess we're gonna call them. Anyways, nobody really knows what the end goal is here. No, unless Putin come, Putin comes out and is like, "Sorry, won't happen again." Later, you know, whatever. Like that's not, and obviously that's not gonna happen though. But right. it's like we're just sending as much aid and military support as we can to them, and just calling it um, and just supporting them that way. Right. Because on the flip side of the coin, okay, if we cut off all that support, okay, first off, all that money has gone to waste. Two, Russia's definitely going to, you know, because if, if they do do that that bum rush, you know, idea, they're going to take it over anyways, though. And two, it's like, but then on our side of it, it's like, like I said, what's the angle here? You know, so, I, I and, and, that, and the scary part about that whole angle thing, though, is it's like, you know, our like I said earlier about the, my analogy I used with the with the with the lopsided boulder, right? Is that they gonna start to pick up momentum where it's hey now we're gonna be involved now, and that's it, it, I honestly see us getting involved at some point. Like I feel like we're definitely on the uh, trajectory for World War Three, regardless of nukes are used. If nukes are used, it's like okay, you just kind of fast forwarded through the yeah. next like say year of fighting yeah if nukes are used that that's it if it doesn't it's eventually gonna get to that point or um the russian people actually stand up though because they've lost okay it said 80 to 100,000 right now okay it's fast forward a year say that's closing on 200,000 the russian people stand up and they actually go against putin and there's a huge you know regime change and i mean pretty much uh, chapter two of the, or not chapter two but a whole new <laughs> saga in the fall <laughs> of the Russian regime now or Putin's not getting the military support he needs from China or wherever you know he's not able to keep up militarily because like I said before they're pulling out rusty AKs out of the back of you know old armories and whatnot right. that he's like okay well now it's a Hail Mary time and we're sending a nuke in and we're just going to nuke these strategic sites out and then with what what skeleton forces we have left okay now we're going to slowly move in and take over those places and even if Belarus does get involved and they're wherever many of their army is, I mean, you, okay, that's a that's a nerd skeleton crew right there. Okay, then you go in and just kind of set up shop. So it, I mean, there's there's a handful of different options that are they're pronged off of that, but um, it's uh, it, it like I said, unless Putin just comes in and is like, look, I'm sorry, but obviously it's not gonna happen. Those are the, those are my my views on what's gonna happen. No, I I don't disagree with you, and I mean. I, I study a lot of the Spanish Civil War, for example, and why our failure to respond there almost directly led to Hitler feeling emboldened in 
the Sudanland and other parts, right? Yeah. And there's an interesting quote, again, from the AEI, the American Enterprise Institute, that was like, democracies are slow to respond to foreign crises, mm -hmm. but once they do, they're usually stronger at helping because they need to convince their domestic audience, right? Yeah. Like, like, a, like a dictatorship <laughs> yeah. basically can just say, we're going to war. But in the United States, for example, or France, you actually have to convince the population that what you're doing is just. Yeah. My, well, my yeah, hold yeah, on, hold ahead. on. Is, is 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 my big fear is that there's a percentage of Americans, and French and Spanish, as the economy gets worse, that are hesitant that we're spending this money on Ukraine. And I think it's just because, like, if Putin gets what he wants, no one's safe. Well, yeah. I'm right. Saying. And and so, but I think the problem is, is that you have politicians in all these countries, the far right in almost every Western country yeah. is somewhat Putin sympathetic, I guess would be the best way I would put it, is, is at least they like his idea of we're not going to have trans sports, we're not going to have woke culture. Oh, like there's okay. a, yes, you're saying. Okay. There, yeah. there's kind of an appeal of Putinism that's like the Nick Fuentes in the United yeah. States and the Marjorie Taylor Greens and stuff. And I, I worry that as the economy continues to be strained yeah. because of this, you're going to have more people on the right, especially, and on the socialist left, that are going to go say, why are we here? Yeah. And you need the domestic audience to be behind something in a democracy for it to work. Yeah. And Kevin McCarthy's already said, we will not, uh, or we're going to investigate where the money is going. Yeah. One thing I've learned in any time you investigate where the money's going in a war you're never going to find the answer. Well, I think, dude, you just failed. There would be some audit. Of course, yeah. they yeah. always do. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, look what happened like, the day before 9-11. Like, didn't Rumsfeld come out and was like, we don't know where $3.2 trillion or $2.3 yeah. trillion dollars went. There's always and gonna then 9-11 happened. I was like, oh, okay, what was over there? But, but well, and, well, this is just a small little tangent to what you're saying. Go for um, it. <laughs> I, saw, I saw a recent post recently. It was like... Uh, you know, the, here's the thing about like the, about the war in Ukraine is that we're able to test out all of our weapon systems against you know in an actual theater combat situation against the enemy that we designed them to go up against. Right. Um, and uh, so that's essentially what we're doing now is realizing that hey, look, all of our weapon systems are actually working though, so we're gonna keep testing these out though and just do it over there, and we're not involved with the whole thing and just kind of let's see how it plays out though. So not only is there a political uh, sort of investment with this though too, but there's also a military industrial complex For sure. input of this whole thing though too of, of those armaments pieces and everything else. So just like, cause I mean, cause on top of that too, um, you know, a lot of the same weapon systems, whatnot though, China also uses that too. So like, Oh, right. this stuff worked on the Russian tanks. Okay. Well, there's probably a good high chance that these will work on Chinese tanks and whatnot though too though. So adding on to that though too, it's also, there's a huge, uh, you know, military industrial complex push of, just keep this whole thing going though, because it's our own little like testing area, which is unfortunate. But, no, yeah. no, absolutely. And you know, on on the political side of it, I am worried about isolationism becoming a popular idea in places like the U.S. and France and yeah. the U.K. <coughs> Excuse me. Is like you have J.D. Vance, who just is now a senator. He's going to be what enshrined in yeah, in January, yeah, yeah. and he said, "Why should I care about Ukraine when we have fentanyl across the southern border?" And, like, I always say two things can be true at once. Like, we have a government that could actually do multiple things at once, bro. Like, you know, yeah. like, and, but... That's why we have different advisors yeah, and yeah. secretaries like, for each one of these departments. Like, like, DHS is very different from the DOD. Yes, like, there's, exactly, there's... Yeah. We and can actually... State Department. Yeah. Well, I mean, D, well... No, we can do multiple DHS things. DHS is part of the State Department, but, yeah, I said, yeah. But we right, can do yeah. multiple things exactly, at once. Yeah. 
But but I I just worry that like if you look at pre World War II, I mean the U.S. if it wasn't for Japan invading Pearl Harbor, we would have just been kind of okay with Hitler doing his things in Europe. Yeah. And and that's what does trouble me is that there's so many congressmen and women who at least say that they're fine with isolationism again. Well, but here's the issue with that though, dude. It's like pre World War Two. Like you gotta look at pre World War Two versus us now. But we're we're kind of similar. Like no, no, similar no. Dynamics. Yeah, no. But what I'm saying though is it's like it's the the globally the, the not even globally, well globally, but I'm using the wrong term. <laughs> Planet Earth was a completely different place. It was, yeah. You know and. It's like with this whole isolationist thing. It's like it's we're not gonna become isolationists again. <laughs> no. We are too invested everywhere and have our hands in everybody else's pockets and you know, have our nose in everybody else's business to be like, okay, now we're just cutting everything off. We're just going back to our borders and sitting here and doing our own thing. Right. It's not gonna happen. No. Now, can we actually like <laughs> we can quote unquote say let's invest let's not invest let's uh, let's investigate where this money is going. Yeah, but it's not, you know, it's like, okay, that yeah, okay, go for it, dude. Like, at the end of the day, it's magical numbers that you guys are just kind of shitting over there that are magically come from yeah. our, you know, our paychecks. So, yeah, okay, but the whole isolationist thing, though, it's, it's a dead argument because it's like, it, we're too invested anyways, though, too. It's it, it's not going to happen. We, we Now, if this was like, after World War Two, and we're like, hey, now we're going to go back to being isolationist, okay, yeah, we can kind of go back to where it was, though, but it's like, no, we set up shop in Europe. We set up shop in Japan and and you know the South Pacific, generally speaking, and that's why those places are the way they are now. And and we rightfully so created basically a system that wouldn't allow a radicalized anti Weimar Germany to get into that system again, yeah, exactly. right? Because yeah. like like if you didn't have the Marshall Plan and all these other plans to actually help like mobilize Europe, you would have probably seen more wars because you have to remember Europe was like this colonial imperial yeah. place that wars yeah. were happening you know and and so that's what i worry is that i think a lot of the people that are for isolationism don't understand why like global you know as as alex jones would say the global elites <laughs> and it's like the global elites there's no global elites in this case it's more just global orders to make sure that we don't have another genocidal war happen again yeah exactly you know and and, and like cause, yeah you, as you said we could go back to isolationism after world war ii but it could have led to another bankrupt Germany getting radicalized. Yeah, or you know, just the 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 lines on the map for Europe would be up for grabs. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, the entire Europe was war torn. Okay, so right. who's gonna say that? I mean, it's like if you don't have that order come in and start establishing rule, it's like, okay, well, what's gonna happen then? Okay, then you have warlords start setting up shop and doing their own thing, though. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I feel like France and uh, France, the Netherlands. Finland, Sweden, Sweden, and yeah, some of those little more established uh, um, uh, friendly powers were you know could definitely like get back to where they were though. But doesn't say the rest of these places are just, like, it. It would turn into you know essentially Europe. If, if we didn't set up shop, though, I feel like Europe would look a little bit more like Africa in a sense of just like yeah okay. There's lines on the ground, lines on the map, but that it doesn't really freaking matter. So you know for sure, for sure. No and. Like, we should probably wrap up this part on Ukraine and stuff, but I just hope that, I mean, luckily you have senators like Tom Cotton, who's obviously a veteran, who's like, no, we're going to keep sending aid to Ukraine. Mitch yeah. McConnell said we're going to keep sending aid to Ukraine. Like, it sounds like the more sensible Republicans are, but I, I just hear that, like, both the AOCs on the left and the Marjorie Taylor Greens on the right 
seem more open to cutting spending, not understanding that you can't let a fascist type of movement gain power, you know? And so like, like breaking points, we both have listened to breaking points a lot. And like, they, they're, I think too idealistic about how they think that like what we're doing in Ukraine, it's going to backfire. We should probably be more focused on national politics. Cause I'm, I'm one of the people who says if there's injustices happening anywhere, they're going to eventually come back to haunt us here. And, you know. and I know you agree with me when I say this, so dude. It's just like the only issue that I have though is like, this is not just give them a blank check, right? And not give a shit where that money or where that aid and where that military arms goes to. Absolutely. It's actually like, hey, figure out like, hey, like, because we don't. I mean, <laughs> from what I know, it's like, okay, there's a handful of Americans in in Ukraine. They're doing a lot of the more strategic type stuff though. We're they're not doing this on their own. Like, uh, I mean, it's the writing on the wall, okay? And if we don't, like, actually figure out where, like, a lot of these arms are going, okay, that's why you see a lot of stuff come on the black, black, uh, on the black market. So we see a lot of this money start to get, you know, laundered away, whatever else. So, and that's my issue with this whole thing. I was like, hey, let's actually have accountability for where this aid and where this money is actually going and what's actually getting spent on. Because, like I said, if we keep on just writing a blank check, I mean, me, my, I hope you as a taxpayer, myself as a taxpayer, myself at least, I'm just like, hey, I'm okay with seeing the aid, but I want to make sure I know where my dollars are going, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, so, and I feel like that's an easy, it's a, not easy, but I feel like it's a valued argument as a taxpayer. So while, while I have you here, I'd like to kind of move domestically. I first want to just ask you about the state of, American politics, then I want to just touch on law enforcement. The Packers and Rams play in about 20 minutes, so we're going to have to have to do a, kind of more of a speedy round of conversation here. But first off, I, I want to know what you just think about Trump running again. Because, look, the guy has NFTs now. The guy's met with neo-Nazis. NFTs and, are like springtime, dude. That's I know, like I know. <laughs> I know, I know. And, but, like, I, I am curious because, yeah. like, you were a Trump, or at least you voted for Trump. Yeah. Prior, but, um, but 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 let me finish yeah. the question. Is like, what like like, do you think Trump actually has a chance of winning again? No, and <laughs> it's because like I just said about the NFT thing. It's like NFTs were so like, <laughs> dude. Trump is it's like the issue with Trump is like okay like I think like a lot of the uh, um, I mean we saw with the recent elections was like a lot of the people that aligned with Trump had a huge um a huge drawback with stuff though and i feel like people are like hey back in 2015 14 when he um announced his uh his his uh candidacy to become president it was like okay this is a whole new ball game see where this goes and obviously he got elected but now it's like okay we saw how that went let's not do that again um and i feel like a lot of these people that aligned with him though they you know they had issues in the polls they thought they were going to steamroll it and it's like this is not 2016 again you can't just run off those same poli- uh, same politics. Um, I think for him running as president, it's like like I know we said before, just like look, we need actual leadership. You what know? You, okay. And we need yeah. something that can you know go along with everybody. And I know it's an easy talking point, but just like look, that it's such a yeah. it's it's a basic thing, but it has so much brevity to it that's like people like if you had actual leadership in there, that's people who actually get behind and. Like, okay, I might not agree with you 100%, though, but I still back you. When it comes to Trump and Biden, though, it's so polarizing Yeah. that's like, yeah. I don't give a shit who you are when you, you know, I don't give a shit who you are, or even if you're one of these uh, 
beliefs, um, or beliefs, but one of these programs or whatever else that align with me, though, I'm not going to support you. And that's why the whole thing, though. And I feel like, honestly, I feel like there's this kind of bubble that trumps him right now where he thinks that he has this huge backing across the nation. <laughs> and I feel like he really doesn't, though. And it's going to, and if he runs, it's the Republican Party is going to shoot themselves in the freaking foot because it's like, we just lost for, for I want to say, at least the next like 16 years. No, for sure. And like, so. my, so, so my own, because I, I agree with everything yeah, you said yeah. there. But, but my big thing is that not many Republicans are actually like saying the quiet part out loud, which is that Trump is just, in my opinion, not really fit to be president. Like he's just not really the, like it's not even the morals as much as it's just the sanity and like. That's what I'm saying. Dude. And, leadership, but, yeah. but, but like all these people, you know, after the midterms have basically, basically said, oh, Trump doesn't win. So we need someone else. But they're never saying he's actually unfit to be president. So my worry is that if Ron DeSantis doesn't pan out, they're going to go back to him because, look, Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, and a few others have actually said, like, Trump is unfit. But the rest have just said he doesn't win. But what if start, what, what if Trump starts getting support again? Do you think, like, because I think, and I'm curious what you think, do yeah. you think these people just bounce back to him like they did in 2016? Well, yeah, but, and, but they're also doing it to themselves. It's like, okay, you guys aren't putting somebody forth. Nobody wants to list Cheney's and Mitt Romney's because those are the old school established Republicans that we went away from. Because I mean, I, I'd be fine with them. <laughs> no, yeah, but it's a, but that's what I'm saying though. Right. You know, it's like, hey, so who's your backup? Yeah, you know, and it's like, hey, you're not. Nobody's really supporting DeSantis for. I, I really can't put up too much on though. But it's like, okay, so, but you don't want Trump, so it's like, hey, who are you gonna put forward then? You know, and that's what it's gonna come down to. And it's like, okay, and then and then okay, so because you don't put anybody forward. Yeah, everybody's going to fall back to Trump, and we already know that he's not going to win. So it's like, okay, well, like, then, like I said, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot for the next 16 years for elections, though, and then that and that's going to be it. And unless you have somebody step up, like, I know it's a, I don't really, I don't even say it's a talking point, but it's like, you need a JFK type. Yeah. Where it's like, hey, you're actually able to relate to the people. People actually back you for those right reasons, and you have, you know you're a little bit younger and people can relate to you i guess and that if that makes yeah. sense to you know it's just like like honestly i swear like if you had jfk type step up you know they would steamroll everybody yeah left or right it doesn't matter though because that's leadership that's what it comes down to that i mean i guess that's my soapbox on that whole thing but it's just yeah. like it, it's unfortunate is what it is. It's like these, of all the people in the United States, I mean, granted, nobody wants to do the job, but of all the people that you guys are able to put forward to us, like, the, this is it. And you're is it. okay with it, so. No, I, I, I don't disagree. I don't yeah. disagree. So, law enforcement. Yeah. What's, like, obviously there's crime waves in, in the United States. Mm -hmm. I, I live currently in Chicago. I feel a sense of kind of, trouble there yeah i i think most cities feel it i mean you're you're kind of more of an expert on this than me like i don't know what are your just thoughts like what what's what's making you think right now in terms of all that stuff? so one thing i learned recently in law enforcement is uh there's a big difference um between uh like chicago pd and say san diego pd or your small town sheriff's department um <laughs> um, and 
what I mean by that is just like when it comes in like the training and um, uh, just recruitment in general, it comes into play uh, big time. Um, and uh, and with that though too, it's it's also like how those people come into play. It's you're able to create a better police force and <laughs> uh, recent de uh, department locally that uh, we work with um, they're very big time on diversity and I have no problem with that though but you can't just go in the back you know into the orchard of hey we want X amount of these colored people and these amount of these X amount of, these, of people who have this background or whatever else so you can't just plug those people. It's like, hey, people have to genuinely want to go into this this line of work, and if and on top of that too, it's like it's even a select few though because the line of work is, you know, it's very taxing on you know physically, mentally, and family wise. Um, so it, it, I've had a lot of revelations recently about local law enforcement. People say, well, we need national police reform. It's like, no, I think you need some uh, some concentration on certain areas. Um, you know, I mean, one thing I realized recently though too is like a lot of case law that's come out. Um, you know, just like like landmark case law that's come out though has come out of these like huge, um, uh, uh, pol uh, police departments. Um, you know, look at uh, oh crap, I can't remember the name of it though. Robert De Niro started a movie about it in New York with NYPD. Um, oh, sort of an S. I can't remember the name is though, but. Um, it was a huge thing about uh, police issues in New York, and then they had the Miami Vice issues. Um, so, when people need have an issue with like national law enforcement, it's like no, it's like you have issues with your local law enforcement, and certain things have problems here, don't have problems there, and wherever else. So, and cultural issues within the within those certain areas across the nation can make a huge difference. So, too, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm I'm definitely more of a local slash states guy with a lot of issues. Yeah. But I but I guess like us people who are not involved in law enforcement would just think like maybe like a national database, for example, of police officers like like um what was it Derek Chauvin, yeah. for example. Like mm -hmm. do you think it would be problematic to have officers that are bad kind of tracked throughout the country so they're not just hired in different places, I guess you could say. Because like I feel like for me, there's it's more of a perception issue than a real issue when it comes to policing, yeah. is that you have bad police officers who seem to, at least with media coverage, get constantly covered. And they seem to constantly be able to get another job. And don't you think like there could be some oversight from like a national database that could be useful, at least in making sure they don't keep working? And So like for, for me, an example, dude, like the amount of backgrounds and stuff I had to go through in order to get my job was insane mm -hmm. um so if, if you do have that you know that piece of shit cop that is trying to get in somewhere else though um there's been a huge cultural change i mean it's was, it was previously even Derek chauvin but he i mean obviously you know he definitely really kind of blew everything out of the water um you're not gonna be able to get a job if you're a piece of shit cop because nobody wants them because people don't want those Derek chauvins because they create you know, they create our jobs hard as it is. But, but aren't there aren't there examples of police officers where there's been like warnings and red flags that have come up and then they still end up back in the force? Well, so and that's a case, but and I'm not I'm not arguing against that. I'm just saying that that's a case by case of thing. 
Right. So so a national so so at least some sort of database maybe could be useful and at least knowing if someone's had multiple like Yes, but what I'm getting at is like by case by case thing though, is just like say if you're a junior cop that just got on the force mm-hmm. and you have one use of force issue. Okay. And that's because you're junior you're on the for, you're new on the force and I understand that the that because you're a law enforcement officer that you have a lot more uh, scrutiny on your job and you have a lot I mean it's, it's a use of force violation. I understand that. But you also have to learn from your mistakes a little bit though too. There is a line within that though. I mean obviously you show up though and you grandma you go do a welfare check and you shoot grandma because she came on the corner with a flashlight in her hand or lights are off, whatever. Okay, that's obviously an issue. But you know, it's like, hey, say if somebody started a new corporation um, and they screw up like on a data sheet or something like that for their first day, okay, you gonna fire them off the bat for that though, or no? It, and that's it, it's it's a very gray area, sort of fuzzy thing where it's like you can't. It, I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't not not have a database. There definitely should be because you're held that higher standard. But at the same time, though, it's like you know, say you go, you had that one use of force violation, or you had that one policy violation in year one, okay? But you learned from that and you went through that whole thing, and then you got to year sixteen and you had another one just because of this the nature of the work, whatever else. So, okay. Are you going to pull up that one from your year one thing? That, okay, well, I've had 14 or 15 years of no violations and doing my job 100% and I got X amount of awards. Or are you going to be like, oh, he has one use of force violation here. He should have been fired right there because he had one year at 16 years. Hmm. You know, and make a full circle, I said it's a case-by-case thing. And on top of that, too, we need to police our own as law enforcement officers. If you but, recognize but that somebody... Doesn't, but that doesn't seem to always be the case. It... it in my experience, it does. Right. And that's why I was saying that, like, look, we can't look at nationally. You have to look at individually. Where I work, we might be able to, like, hey, we, no, it's like, you screwed up. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to put my job in jeopardy over it. And you know you screwed up, so you either need to say something or I'm going to say something. That's here. Chicago PD might be different. NYPD might be different. Podunk, Oklahoma might be different. I don't know how they operate. So... You know, like we need to police our own even more so, and hold hold ourselves that higher regard um, across the board individually. If that makes sense. Yeah. No. I mean, it does. And like, okay, this is more of kind of a abstract question. Yeah. Go for it. But then, because I I do agree with you. Different police departments are different. Like the LAPD, for example, are notoriously corrupt and problematic. Like yeah. there have been. But like, but then why do you think there across the board? If you meet a leftist, especially someone our age who is on the left, why do you think there's like a general trend across the country? that all cops are pigs amongst that gener- Like, do you think it's just this like perceived issue or do you think there's a, like, and I'm not saying cops are pigs. That's not what yeah, I'm no, saying. No, no, but, no, but like, but like if you talk to any leftists, like I, I live by where the gay pride parade was yeah, happening yeah. in Chicago and there were police out there celebrating it with yeah. a lot of the people. And one of my, one of my gay friends was like, Oh, we didn't want the police there. They're all pigs. And they were part of the problem. And like, I, I just, every city I've been in, there's a disdain for police. If you're on the like more far left. And do you think that's, real or do you think it's just a perception uh both mm-hmm. um i think 60 40 i think 60 40 of perceived um because another thing too is like <laughs> people go on a ride along <laughs> yeah. no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, go on a ride along and actually see what we have to deal with on a daily basis you know um like you're gonna have to go from walking into a dead kid call to turn around to saving a kitten out of a tree to possibly having to use your weapon on somebody. 
you know, or, you know, you go through like a suicide call and have to notify the family like, hey, your, you know, daughter, son, whatever, just killed themselves. And then you have to turn around and go deal with a domestic at some, you know, high-end place or, you know, like somebody that's like really uppity that thinks that you're just a piece of shit. And that's where that whole thing is like, look, like you have to understand like these people, like cops are people also. And Absolutely. That, and that's a huge thing that comes into play. So when it comes to that perceived thing, a lot of it's perceived because it's what's shoved down our throats. What, but what but, do you think? Um, what do you think police officers could do better so maybe that perception is like alleviated? Or, or, or do you think there's nothing cops should do better? I don't know. I mean, we could always be better across the board, one hundred percent. But you can only do so much, though. Also, you know, it's like okay, you could do some only so much community policing, though. But each time you drive through, it turns into a safety issue because if you get out of the car, okay, you know you. you you, know, you might get shot at, or you know, you can have you run into more, more you have run into much more issues. I mean, I talked to a guy I was stationed with in Hawaii. He uh, he used to be St. Louis PD before uh, he joined the he joined the military. And I'm like, why the hell did you join the military after being uh, St. Louis PD? And he told me he's like, look, we only got paid fifteen dollars an hour with no benefits, Jeez. and after thirty years we would get a pension. I'm like, <laughs> fifteen dollars an hour as a cop, and it's his second week on the force is when they had the uh, Ferguson riots. <laughs> and they got called down there as backup. So, you know, go figure on that one. But, um, you know, but he was telling me, he's like, dude, there'll be neighborhoods that uh, you hear shots from that we would not go and uh, um, we would wait till the shots stop shooting and then go and and then go and investigate afterwards. But it's because, like, hey, if we go over there, okay, we're going to get, in, you know, get into something. So it's, can cops do better? 100%. But it's also, too, it's like, hey, well, people also have to be open-minded, too, because they're all human beings just like you and go from there, though. So that's all I got on that one. No, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions that, that have happened, and I, I think there's almost kind of this sort of like chicken or the eggs, like cyclical issue that happens as if you don't have enough policing, then you get more crime, and then police are kind of forced to act more more nervous yeah like especially in cities like chicago and then so then it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing is like what's the beginning of this well and uh, my buddy might sent me a post recently it was, a, it was a recording of chicago um of chicago cops and there's a 911 <laughs> call is a dispatch call and like uh there's reports of uh gang members having a gunfight in the road and uh the two cops that respond that were dispatched to it were like one of them said uh um let them fight and everyone's like uh, just let it happen and right. that was it though and it's like okay one side of that coin is like, okay, you need to go do your jobs, you're a cop. That's what they call 911. You have to go do your job because you have to wear a badge and a gun. Society expects that from you and you get paid to do that. Another side of that coin is like, from the cop's perspective, it's like, okay, if I do go over there, I'm not about to get in a gunfight for this whole damn thing and whatever else. So it's like, I could see both sides of it personally for me. It's like, hey, you got a job, you better go freaking do it though because you got to be that change. So Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a conversation society has to have. It's like, do you want strong policing or a society where we don't? cherish it and it leads to anarchy and i don't think we want that either no, so because anyway, we see that in cities but john i gotta let you go the packers and rams have started so oh we're gonna have to we're gonna have to chat further down the road but i i appreciate your time and uh yeah. as always you can find me on apple Podcasts, itunes spotify podbean all that jazz and uh i'll be back with uh, more current event stuff later in the week but john thank you so much for being yeah, no worries and uh, everybody just uh work out 
eat healthy and uh, get some fresh air. Go outside. Is it bad that I'm uh, drinking a beer while we're doing this? Is that a problem? Life's too short. Have a good time. Also. <laughs> Life is short, but it's not that short. So it I don't know. Yeah. you, you got to find that balance. But, <laughs> but anyways, brother, love you.